Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of Scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined on this Thanksgiving week by my co-host, Jackie Mitchell. How's it going? Jackie, happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving. This is obviously Monday, but Thanksgiving's coming up. Where are you going? Ooh, I'm going to Toledo. Toledo. My in-laws. Yeah. Oh, Josh yeah. is from Toledo. He's from Toledo. You didn't know that. I think I probably did know yeah. that. Yeah. That's why he's a Michigan fan. He's too close to the border. Oh, yeah, the cheaters. So, um, yeah. So let's, let's, uh, before we get into this, because, you know, we had a couple episodes ago, we had a podcast that had a lot to do with food. Yes. A certain kind of stew. Well, yeah. And someone who's ravenously hungry. And so, uh, that's kind of what defines the Thanksgiving holiday, right? Being I mean, ravel- ravenously hungry. Yeah, just kind of like yeah. eating a lot of food. Yeah. So so what 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 is your take on Thanksgiving food, Jackie? Um, it's good. I would say I don't really ever crave turkey. Mm-hmm. Like I'm there for the sides. Mm-hmm. Do you agree or do you really like the sides turkey? are the best part of the meal? That's I mean turkey you could like some of the turkey Turkey's it could fine. be made pretty yeah. well. But you know, when I was growing up, we put cranberries on the turkey. On it. On it. Oh, interesting. It's like a little sweet and savory situation. Mm-mm. What are you, gravy? Yeah, I like gravy, but on the sides. You're, you're not, you're just eating the turkey plain? No, I, yeah, I would eat it with gravy. Yeah. yeah with I'm gravy. just saying, I really would not, like if it was socially acceptable, I think I would only eat the sides. Straight sides. Like vegetables and like well, potatoes. When I, when I was playing baseball, we would always go to, uh, in college, we our bus would stop at Golden Corral. Oh. <laughs> And, <laughs> and we always joked that like you really didn't trust like eating the meat and stuff no, there. So we would just eat sides the whole time. And like, like, yeah. Potatoes. Yeah. And so that's kind of how that's kind of how Thanksgiving is. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Green bean casserole. Okay, now we have to be specific about this. Yes. Explain 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 your your manifesto about green beans. I don't want to see any fresh green beans in a green bean casserole that is an abomination mm-hmm. to the green bean casserole community mm-hmm. canned green beans only mm-hmm. I I like canned green beans just in general wow. like I think they're okay. really good but I it's the only right kind of green bean for a green bean casserole it's like soft yeah I mean, you don't I, want to snap in your green bean casserole I, I usually take any opportunity I can to disagree with you yes but but I agree with you on this yeah. wholeheartedly because because yeah. don't you put like the crunchy onions on top yeah. and stuff so you yeah. have a little you crunch. want everything to be soft and kind mm. of like and they're like salty and like my sister my sister made uh, uh, who's she's she's a great cook mm-hmm. but she made green green bean casserole one time with fresh green beans and yeah you know she had basically prepared her entire house to have us over we stayed there. Uh, she cooked the entire Thanksgiving meal with no help, and I complained about the <laughs> casserole. <laughs> but for a good reason, right? right. I mean, come I on, mean, hey, Carrie, I'll, I'll stand doing? on that. I'll stand on that. The only other thing about the Thanksgiving meal that is a little bit off-putting to me is sometimes you look at your plate and you have like seven things on it and everything's the same color. It's all kind of like brownish green. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about green. Yeah, like the green bean casserole. The <laughs> stuffing is like the the herbs okay, and the, fine. yeah. Yeah, I was thinking it's like it's like beige. It's, it's like a beige, beige plate. It's a beige you know? meal. That's what the like nutritionists say. Like if you just want to like be healthy without thinking about it, like make sure that your food's not just like all the same color. Yeah, like Thanksgiving. Yeah, which is like the biggest meal of the year. Yeah. Now, now the other the only other thing about Thanksgiving is that when I was growing up, we had like a Thanksgiving meal, and then we had a Christmas meal, and they're uh-huh. exactly the same. You and I, I think, talked about this on an early episode, but I agree. It's just, <laughs> yeah, I think we this. have. I think we did last year when Why? we started the podcast because we said it's the same thing. You just swap out ham or turkey. Mm, right. And right. I, I mean, I would prefer turkey over ham, mm-hmm. but again, 
I'm not into either. I would rather do a chicken. 100%. A chicken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not. Now, now here's something fun that I've done with my family before. We did a, uh, like, um, a, a pre-Thanksgiving meal. So, like, <laughs> so like uh, the, 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 or no, it was, it was the Friday, right? Because usually a Friday off. Yeah. And I don't want to eat the Thanksgiving food mm-hmm. again on Friday. So, we did it all with Mexican food. And oh. what was interesting is that everyone liked the, th- the Thanksgiving meal, but having them back to back, every single person was like, the, the Mexican food's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm never like craving a Thanksgiving plate, I don't think. No, no. So, uh, happy Thanksgiving out there to all, yeah. to all our loyal listeners and quite frankly, nobody else. And yeah, if not, <laughs> no happy Thanksgiving yeah. for you. But, to, but to, to, our, to our loyal listeners, happy, happy Thanksgiving to you. We hope you have a good time with your family uh, today. We are going to get into, uh, on episode 43, Genesis 28. Yes. So this is kind of a famous episode. This is the story of Jacob's ladder. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so there's this moment that we're going to go through where Jacob is blessed by his father, who mm-hmm. was trying to not bless him, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be intentionally blessed at the beginning of this chapter by his father. And then he's going to go uh, f- try to find a wife amongst his kinfolk, mm-hmm. which is uh, what, what we saw with the pattern of Isaac. And then one night he falls asleep. He has a dream. And in the dream, there's this ladder, right? Jacob's ladder yeah. is, is uh, the, the colloquial term for this story. And so I always ask you this question because I'm always interested. Mm-hmm. Your, your Sunday school experience, what was... A lot in Sunday school. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it would be. I don't think, no. This not, is, not like the Technicolor dream coat? No, Jacob and Esau, what you know about Jacob is the... If you know two things, you know the, the, the deception yep. of the birth the birthright or the, you know, the, yeah, that story. And then, you know, him wrestling with God. Ah, okay. But, you know, I knew about Jacob's ladder, but I don't know if it's ever been covered in Sunday school. If it, if it was, it was one of those things where like, I think I had a, a Bible that had a lot of pictures in it growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah. This is one of the things that it's like really hard to depict. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. like really hard for some like illustrator to draw. Right. So it just gets like weird, but yeah. yeah, not a lot, not a lot talked about growing up. I don't think. So keep, keep so so keep that in your mind because I think what we're going to talk about today would actually help us understand how you would draw something. Yes, like that, yeah. Right? Um, so okay, so that's what we're going to get into today. As always, if you like this podcast, if it's helpful for you, uh, give us a rating, give us a review, uh, send it to a friend, suggest it to loved ones. Um, we we kind of you know we kind of stalled on the on the reviews and the ratings on, on our platform. Oh. So. Uh, Maybe branch out beyond loved ones. It can't be that we're not getting new listeners. I, I feel like it's, it's millions. <laughs> well, because we're the already, only, so. we're the longest running podcast ever. ever. So people <laughs> have to be listening. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, before we do, why don't we do a quick summary, mm-hmm. kind of explain where we have, have been and, and where we've gotten to so far. Uh, a few chapters ago, Isaac, the promised seed, had twins with his wife, Rebecca, mm-hmm. and the twins were, were Esau. And Jacob, Esau was the oldest, which means he's in line to receive the inheritance and the blessing. And so Esau was described as a strong man and a man of the open field, mm-hmm. while Jacob is described as being peaceful or or complete. So, so the Hebrew word is actually tom, mm-hmm. uh, which is not usually the way that it's translated, but that is what what that word means. You know, um, peaceful, complete, mm. uh, and he lived in tents as opposed to the open field, and so. We learned that Isaac preferred Esau because he likes wild game. So he would yeah. probably disagree with your thoughts on turkey. Yes, yeah. Uh, but Rebecca preferred Jacob. And so the the first episode that we saw with them is crazy because mm-hmm. 
Esau comes in from hunting and he's famished. And so Jacob's cooking soup, lentil mm-hmm. stew. Mm-hmm. And basically, what does Esau do? He sells his birthright to Isaac for the soup. Yeah, for the bowl of yeah. soup. And so the scriptures actually say that he despised his birthright, mm-hmm. right? which is strong language, but, but basically that he finds it worthless. Mm-hmm. He finds it worth less than a bowl of stew. And so uh, as Isaac is dying, we, we talked about last chapter that he, for some reason, still wants to bless Esau. Yeah. So even though Esau despised his birthright, and and even though he obviously can't be trusted to be the covenant mm-hmm. carrier because he has nothing of the patient faith that Abraham mm-hmm. showed and that Isaac showed in his younger years too, um, uh, Isaac's physical blindness in that story is is symbolic of the kind of spiritual blindness mm-hmm. that has overcome him. And so in comes Rebecca, the mother of the seed, the one who's supposed to protect the seed, and she saves the day mm-hmm. and she protects the seed. And so. Uh, Jacob dresses up like Esau. How do you do that? He just put on a goat's skin, and that was hairy enough to. He was like, "Oh, it's Esau." <laughs> and uh, and Esau's clothing. Yes, yeah. And then Rebecca makes the wild game, and uh, Jacob receives a blessing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Esau comes in later, and he's furious because his brother has stolen his blessing. He's you know grabbed his heel, Yaakov. Mm-hmm. And supplanted him, mm-hmm. which is what his name comes to mean idiomatically. Uh, but it was really Rebecca we talked about last time who carried out this plan. Yeah, she convinces Jacob. Yeah. And instead of the deception being a bad thing, we are arguing through our interpretive framework that mm-hmm. it's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because it's the, the, the woman who does battle with the serpent. And it's mm-hmm. the woman that the seed comes through that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, and it seems like she was the only one who saw rightfully who yeah. should have been the heir. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so she, she did battle with, with you know, Satan's mm-hmm. plans to thwart the seed and she protects the one who's going to crush the serpent's head. And so uh, we saw at the end of the chapter, there's some drama. Oh, yeah. Because Esau's not happy about this. Yeah, he threatens to kill right? him. <laughs> yeah, he's going to kill him. And so that's when Rebecca sends Jacob mm-hmm. to her brother Laban, which we had met earlier in Haran. Uh, and she tells him to do what? To get a, to get a wife. Yeah. And the instructions are specifically... Not a Canaanite woman. Canaanite wife. Yes. Which is what Esau already has a couple. Uh, yeah, wives, too. Right? But a wife from his kinfolk, which mm-hmm. is exactly what we saw in the story of Isaac earlier. That's mm-hmm. how he found Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is where we pick up today. So let's get into chapter 28. Let's do uh, one through five. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Badan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the the Aramian. The brother of Rebecca, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Yeah, so this is where uh, I was coming from last time when I said that it seemed like by the end Isaac repented. Yeah, because he's yeah. He kind of starts to he's understand, going along maybe, with it, right? Yeah, because um, because last chapter, you know, he rashly and quite frankly unintelligently tried to give the blessing to Esau, despite the fact that God does not want Esau to have it, mm-hmm. and the fact that Esau embodies and shows everything that the covenant carrier is not supposed to be. And he sold it. And he sold it, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and and he despises it. Yeah. He, he finds it worthless. And so um, he's not patient like Abraham. He's not mm-hmm. patient like Isaac was in Gerar. He's impulsive. And he doesn't care about his birthright. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and yet Isaac was going to give it to him. Anyways, Isaac gets tricked. And in that, you know, uh, deception from Rebecca through Jacob, he, he seems to actually come to understand what happened, right? It doesn't say that he starts to see clearly, but, but uh, here you see him blessing Jacob intentionally again and mm-hmm. sending him away on a mission mm-hmm. to find a wife of his own clan. And so mm-hmm. he's sending him on the seed carrier mission, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just like Rebecca was found for Isaac. And in fact, he's going to go back to Laban, which is who, who Where Rebecca the one who came from, yeah. Rebecca to, to Isaac. And so Jacob is now on the same track that Isaac was on, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a good thing. And then, you know, you see some of this blessing language in here, you know, the covenant blessing that, that we've seen over yeah. and over again. Yeah, be right? fruitful, increase in number. Yep become a great people, mm-hmm. have the promised land. Exactly. Yeah. So this is good, mm-hmm. right? So, so Jacob's on his way. Uh, so let's do uh, six or nine. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, so he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he's already had. Okay, so back to Esau. Right? More wives. More That's... wives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, what's going on here? So Yeah. It's like he sees too late his parents, mm. like, yeah, like they've already expressed that these women are giving them problems. This Canaanite woman he's married, the two that he's married. Yeah. And just now after Jacob leaves to marry one who's not a Canaanite woman, he's like, I should do that too. Right, right. It's almost like the same way that Isaac has come to see. Yeah, like a little like bit too late. Esau starting to come to see a little yeah. bit, right? Um, and this is important going forward because Esau does not necessarily remain mm. the bad guy in this story. We'll get to mm-hmm. that in a few chapters, but... Uh, he sees that that Isaac blesses Jacob and sends him to uh, his kinfolk to marry them and not the daughters of Canaan. And yes. there was that one insertion earlier when we were reading, remember, that was just yes. like at the very end and it was like Esau had married Canaanite women. And, and they like were, yeah, a problem to his parents, basically. Parents. Yeah. His parents <laughs> did not like them. They were worked up about yeah. it, right? Right. They didn't approve of, of, of yeah. that marriage. And so uh, it says here that Esau realized, but can you guess what the Hebrew word is? Hmm. He saw. He saw. Yeah. Right? Which is what it always is when yeah. it's talking about uh, the judgment of God versus the judgment of us. And we just saw the symbology of of Isaac earlier with having no vision and, and having no spiritual vision either and trying to bless Esau still. Mm-hmm. So his eyes are opened and he sees how the Canaanite women were displeasing to his father. Mm-hmm. And so it actually says that, that you know, the, the Canaanite wives were evil in the eyes of the father. Mm-hmm. And so that's more vision symbology, yeah. right? It actually, it's just kind of, that, you know, this is some of the stuff that you can miss without the original language. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that it displeased. It says there's evil in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. theme of vision can, can come through when you get into the language a little bit. So then what does, what does Esau do? Uh, I, I actually, I feel like, I can't remember who this was from, but I feel like I, I read a teaching before that read this story and, you know, Ishmael and his descendants at some point kind of become antagonistic towards Israel, mm-hmm. right? And so I think because of that, whoever was, was teaching on this, I heard them say that, that Esau was basically doubling down mm-hmm. on his disobedience, you know? Like he went and got more mm-hmm. Canaanite wives because he saw that it displeased his father and he liked mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but that's actually not what this says. Hmm. So you have to read it and 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 understand the genealogy, right? That that he realized that Isaac was displeased about his Canaanite Canaanite wife, so so he goes to the family of Ishmael, and Ishmael mm-hmm. is not a Canaanite. Yeah. In fact, Ishmael is a son of Abraham, and he was blessed through the covenant. <laughs> right. So Esau marries kin. Yeah. Just like he's supposed to do. And so, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think it means what what we're talking about—the beginning of repentance. Mm. the beginning of of seeing clearly right he saw what it did to his father mm-hmm. he saw that it was evil in his father's eyes and so he starts to repent he starts to see mm. and so maybe there's a movement of repentance bubbling in Esau we'll have to see how the relationship with Jacob yeah uh, turns out but let's let's go back to Jacob for now 10 through 15 Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will never and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring back bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Mm. So he leaves the well of the oath or the well of seven mm-hmm. and sets out for Haran exactly as he was commanded to do. Mm-hmm. So remember Genesis 12, 4, after God tells Abraham to go somewhere, at that time it was Abram, mm-hmm. what's, what's he do? He goes. He goes, and Abram went, yeah. Genesis 12, 4. And so now Jacob receives the command and he goes, right? Mm-hmm. Isaac received the command to stay during mm-hmm. the famine and he did. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see this pattern of, of, of uh, Abrahamic obedience mm-hmm. to God, right? And this is good because these, this, this is the, the seed carriers yeah. who, who are doing this. And so he stops at the place, mm. which is what it's called, which is what it says in Hebrew. Uh, and we'll talk about why here later. Because the sun has set and he takes a stone and it actually says the place, he, he puts the stone at the place of his head. Oh, okay. So commentators think that he probably used it as a pillow, but it doesn't say he put it under his head. It says he put it by his head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is symbolism about rocks and, you know, rocks having powers and stuff that, that mm-hmm. a lot of cultures still believe. And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that here at the end, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And it says that he dreamed and behold a stairway. Mm. Now this word in Hebrew is what's called hapax legomena. Mm. So if you read the Bible, there are certain words that are hapax legomena and hapax legomena is a Greek term that means appears only once. Okay. So there's a lot of words that appear only one time in the Bible. Hmm. And that makes translations tricky. Uh, in Greek, it's easier because we have lots of other Greek documents. Yeah. So the hapax legomena that we see in the New Testament, it's pretty easy to understand what they mean. Uh, the the hapax legomena in the Hebrew Bible is tricky mm-hmm. because it's really the only active Hebrew text that we have mm-hmm. uh, that, that's this old. And so we talked about this before, but basically what you have to do is you have to look at some of the other languages that that were there at the time and see if you can find any cognates, okay. words yeah. that sound similarly. And so there's a Sumerian cognate, a Sumerian word, which was another ancient Near Eastern Semitic language. Uh, 
and and it means stairway. Mm. Um, and so the story is popularly called Jacob's Ladder, but but it's a stairway. Mm. And I think that that's the correct interpretation, which is actually what the NIV has here. Yeah. Which which I was uh, I was somewhat surprised to see that, just because mm-hmm. I had always heard the story as, J- as Jacob's ladder. Yeah. So that probably means the King James version has mm-hmm. ladder, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the the colloquial terms we have for Bible stories come from the KJV. Yeah. Because it was such an mm-hmm. important text at the time. Um, and so uh, there's a stairway that rests on the earth and then reaches heaven. Mm-hmm. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on it. So they're going up and down on this stairway. So God is at the top of the staircase and he speaks to Jacob, reiterating all of the promises that we've talked about again and again. I am the God of your forefathers. I'll give you descendants who will be like the dust of the earth. All the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I will be with you. I'll give you this land. This is my oath. Mm -hmm. All of the stuff that we've seen before. And so uh, we're, we're familiar with what God is saying, but what's the deal with the stairway? Mm. What is this? So when we talked about the Tower of Babel back Genesis 12, uh, Genesis 11, we said that the tower was, what was the, the word that we used? A ziggurat. A ziggurat, right? So a ziggurat is a temple complex and they've actually uncovered the, the great ziggurat of Ur, Mm-hmm. which I argued is potentially the, the Tower of Babel. Yeah. And they uncovered it in, in Mesopotamia. And, and these ziggurats, these temple complexes were very common in this part of the world. And these temple complexes were, were, were man-made recreations of the mountain of God. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine this giant temple with a giant staircase that goes all the way up to the top. And then the priests when they want to meet with the God that they worship, they go all the way up the stairs mm-hmm. and they and they meet with him there, mm-hmm. right? So the mountain of God is something that we're gonna see throughout the Bible. And it's something that was very common in, in, in ancient uh, worship. Because if you remember Genesis chapter two, the rivers flow out of the garden. Yeah. The four rivers. Well, how does a river flow? Down. Downhill. Right? Downhill. Right? The rivers only flow because of gravity. Yeah. Uh, and so that means that the Garden of Eden is a is a garden on top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. It's an elevated an elevated garden, the, the mountain of God, mm-hmm. right? If you've ever heard of the hanging uh, gardens of Babylon, yeah, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Yeah, you're right. right you're right. It is. And um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who mm-hmm. we'll meet in the Bible mm-hmm. in a few years. <laughs> He built it, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a few years, uh, yeah, in a while. <laughs> a few years when we get there. Um, uh, it's the Neo-Babylonian period. And so he he built this and and basically he creates a, a, a mountain on top of a temple, you know, mm-hmm. a, a garden on top of a temple mount. And he puts these beautiful hanging gardens on the top. And so, you know, God, you meet with God on top of a mountain because mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the 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 natural world, that's where the intersection of heaven and earth is, mm-hmm. right? It's like the highest point. Mm-hmm. That's where the ark settled. Remember in the mountains of Ararat. Yeah. And that's where, you know, that's where you go to meet with God because, you know, God's up there. We're down here. Where do you go to, mm-hmm. to meet with him? And so uh, you, 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 you go to the top of a mountain and then, and then we talked about this already as well, but what about, what about gardens? Why are they, why are there mm-hmm. gardens? And the reason that there's gardens is because uh, the gardens are full of life yeah, and abundance and water. And it's like paradise, mm-hmm. you know, 
you, you, you go out into the desert and it's a certain kind of living, mm-hmm. a certain harshness to it. Mm-hmm. Imagine crossing from a desert into like a beautiful, well-watered, abundant garden. Yeah. It's like paradise. Yeah. And actually the Greek word uh, or, or, or the Hebrew word uh, for, for, for paradise uh, is, is garden. Mm. Yeah. So when Jesus says tomorrow, you'll be with me in paradise in the new Testament, the, the same Greek word for paradise, paradisio is what is, uh, is what the, uh, um, the Greek translation of the old Testament has translated as garden. Mm. So tomorrow you'll be with me in the garden, which actually like makes that. sense in terms of biblical theology. Uh, and so anyways, God's paradise is, is, is often depicted and experienced as a garden on top of a mountain. And so a ziggurat is, is a man-made recreation of the mountain of God. Mm. You build this thing way up in the sky and then you have, you know, some kind of uh, worship there and you send your king and maybe your priests and they go up there and they meet God at the top of the mountain. So what they did at the Tower of Babel, right, which I said might have actually been excavated as the, the great mm-hmm. ziggurat of Ur, uh, because that's where Abraham's from, remember? Yes. This was perhaps the, the ziggurat from the story, but but the problem is not that they built a, a temple to God. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is that they built a temple for themselves yeah. to make a name for themselves. Right. And so it's it's this idea of like self-worship, self-glorification. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of that to say that what Jacob sees in his dream, a staircase that leads up a ziggurat to the house of God is, is you know, and, and we know that because God's heavenly angels are de- mm-hmm. ascending and descending up and mm-hmm. down the stairs and God's at the top and speaks mm-hmm. and, and blesses Jacob, mm-hmm. right? So uh, in terms of depicting this in like art, like you were talking about, the way that you would depict this is, is you know, if you stand at the bottom of the great ziggurat of Ur and you, and you take a picture up the stairway, you can almost not see the top. Yeah. Very similar to a pyramid. Yeah. So so the pyramids in Egypt uh, are probably this kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Now, there's not the same kind of stairs that get to the top, but that's the idea of making a mountain mm. to, that goes up into the heavens. And so you could take a picture of the bottom of the staircase and you can see this thing. And it really does, from the angle, look like it goes all the way up into mm-hmm. the sky. And so that's probably what Jacob sees mm-hmm. in, in his dream. Right? And then that, and maybe that's how, how you would depict it. So- God gives Jacob his blessing. And then let's do 16 through 19. When Jacob awoke awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Earlier, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Mm. So surely Yahweh was in this place and I, I did not know. Mm-hmm. And he says that because he met God mm-hmm. in a dream mm-hmm. right at the top of the, 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 the ziggurat stairs. And so he says how awesome, right? Which is not the way that we use awesome. Mm-hmm. Like the Ninja Turtles, you know, yeah. use awesome. It's like dreadful, fearful. Inspires awe. Sublime yeah. to be yeah. in awe of something yeah. because of its power and, and so he says, you know, how awesome is this place? How how dreadful, how fearful in, not necessarily in like a, I'm afraid of it way, but in, in, in a reverent way. Yeah. And he says, it's the house of God, the gate of heaven. Mm-hmm. So think about what we just said about a ziggurat. Why would they build that? And what did they think it was? 
literally think it's the gate of heaven. Mm-hmm. You build it up in the sky. You go up there and you meet God in, in the sky, in the heavens. Uh, and so it's a gate between heaven and earth, right? The, the gate of heaven, the dwelling place of God. So Jacob takes a stone that was by his head and he makes an altar and he calls the city Bethel, mm-hmm. Bet-El. So Bet is house, El is God, so house of God. And an altar is a stone or a stack of stones that you pile up into the sky. Mm. Why? For the same reason. Mm-hmm. You build a pyramid or that you build a ziggurat, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a commemoration of, of heaven and earth coming together. Yeah. Put it in the dirt and you build it up into the sky and it's, it's, it's a moment or, or, or it symbolically represents a moment when heaven and earth you know, came, came together. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what these altars are symbolically doing. Now Abraham was making altars. Isaac made an altar. Now Jacob makes an altar to commemorate his vision. Yeah. And interestingly, in Genesis, so from twelve through fifty, chapter twelve through chapter fifty, there's twelve altars set up by the patriarchs, mm-hmm. and they're set up in the various places that will be the twelve tribes of Israel. Oh wow! Yeah. So this altar is set up in Bethel, which will become an important uh, city of worship for the people of God in the rest of the Old Testament, both in good ways and bad ways. Yeah. So Jerusalem will become the place where the temple is. Mm-hmm. But Bethel is probably the other most important part. So when there's a civil war between the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, mm-hmm. and all the other tribes to the north of Jerusalem and Judah split off, they, uh, they make Bethel the capital Mm-hmm. And that's where they set up the golden calves yeah. for the second time, right? And it's because it's, that's that's an important place. Uh, and so here's here's Bethel. Here's how it comes to be, and here's how, uh, and here's and that's why Jacob thinks it's mm-hmm. the house of God because he saw the house of God there mm-hmm. in a dream. So let's do twenty through twenty two. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Mm. Hmm. So, you know, Jacob makes a vow here Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's not, I don't necessarily think this is great theology, from from Jacob to say like if you do if something you do this, for me then, then I'll, I'll worship you, yeah. but it is important to make vows, mm-hmm. right? You know when Christians get baptized, we make a vow to God, mm-hmm. and we vow to to be allegiant to Him, and we vow to to fight with Him, yeah, uh, you know, with Him as in on His side, not yeah. against Him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting, I think, about our modern culture is a lot of times. We, we don't necessarily look at our conversion like that. Mm-hmm. We don't look at it as a vow. Mm-hmm. We look at it as accepting a gift and yeah. praying a prayer, yeah. which it is a gift. But to walk with Christ is to make a vow, mm-hmm. to actually walk with him and to, to, uh, to make a promise to him that you're turning away your allegiance from all of the other gods. Mm-hmm. And turning towards him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, when you get into the waters of baptism, you make a vow for the rest of your life that, that this is, that this is, uh, so even though like, I don't necessarily think this is great theology from, from Jacob, it shows that he like met with God yeah. and was like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they, they go forward. He, he sets up a stone, uh, 
like, like we talked about. And he promises that he's going to give God a tenth. Yeah. A tithe. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, we already saw a tithe in the Bible. Yeah, we saw Abraham right? tithe to mm-hmm. Melchizedek. Yeah, so this is one of the interesting things. Like certain things in the law are going to get codified mm-hmm. and specified, but they've already been happening. Yes. Right, because marriage is going to have, uh, it's going to get defined mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a legal way in the law, but marriage was in Genesis 2, mm-hmm. right? Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, mm-hmm. right? And the two shall become one flesh. And so uh, the same thing is kind of true of a tithe because mm-hmm. the tithe is going to become a part of the law, codified. Mm-hmm. But we saw Abraham tithe to Melchizedek, mm-hmm. priest of the God most high. And now we're seeing Jacob promised tithe to God. Mm. And so it's this idea, and we already talked about this before, this really shouldn't be something that's difficult for, for worshipers of God to understand. It, it is that God has given us everything. Mm-hmm. And so we give a tenth to the, to the kingdom of God financially. Mm-hmm. And that is actually not, uh, in my opinion, like over the top generosity. Yeah. Right? And Paul is going to use different kind of language to talk about giving. He's going to say, you should be generous. Mm-hmm. So I actually, you know, people sometimes say like, well, I don't think that you have to tithe because it's not in the New Testament. Mm. And I'm like, you're right. It's pro- you probably need to give way more. Yeah. Look at how the early church was <laughs> acting mean, in Acts. They were giving everything they had to and, each and other. Yeah. So, so at our church, we teach to tithe yeah. because because we think that 10% is a, is a good marker that you see throughout the Bible. And and it, and it is sacrificial, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, depending on, on your lifestyle, like that's, you know, that's like equal to rent, mm-hmm. right? Or, or mortgage, um, probably. I mean, some people's expenses are, are different than others, but so we teach that. But whenever people want to bring that as like a hermeneutical thing about how they shouldn't have to give, it's always like, well, if you want to go there yeah, and you want to talk about the New Testament, like, I don't think you want to do that. People because, were selling property I mean, and just giving the whole, the the whole, whole thing away. yard away. To, yeah. Right. And, and, and so uh, generosity is very, very important. We're, yeah. we're, we, we did a, a generosity series uh, at our church recently. And, you know, we teach people to tithe because we believe that, that it helps set you free. Mm-hmm that it helps you pattern your life after a generous God. And the only point of your Christian faith is to take the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and become like him. Mm -hmm. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be generous. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of interesting that that's already set up here. You know, we saw it kind of randomly and strangely with Melchizedek. Yeah. Not a lot was explained, but then we see it as part of Jacob's vow. Yeah, here here it is again. If you're going to be my God, then I'm going to give you a 10th. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the end of the chapter, right? That's the story of Jacob's ladder, uh, maybe more appropriately called Jacob's stairway, mm-hmm. Jacob's ziggurat. You, you like that one? It just that's doesn't catch Yeah, it doesn't stick like maybe some others. Jacob's ziggurat. The, the symbolic <laughs> theme that you see here becomes incredibly important going forward. Yeah. We're going to see the story of Moses. Besides the Exodus, what's the most important thing that Moses does? He meets with God yeah. on a mountain to receive mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments. So he like goes up this mountain mm-hmm. to meet with God. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the temple's going to be built. Where's mm-hmm. the temple going to be built? On a mountain. On a mountain in Jerusalem. We have Psalms 119 through 133, which is called the Song of Ascent, 
And it's about going up to the mountain of God. And Psalm 15 and 24 asked the question, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Mm-hmm. And the reason that they asked that question is because in when Moses goes to the top of the mountain, you remember what happens to the other people if they touch the mountain? They'll die. <laughs> yeah, like they're terrified yeah. of it. Yeah. That's God up yeah, there. Yeah, and he comes down changed. His face right. is like glowing. He's glowing. Yeah. And, and, and so who can ascend the mountain of God? Yeah. Right. This is the question that the psalmists are asking. And as Jacob said, to be at the gate of heaven is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. It's sublime. That's, that's the God Almighty that's at the mm-hmm. top there. And so how can we ascend the mountain of God and meet God and be in his divine throne room if in Exodus, the people can't even touch the base of the mountain? Mm-hmm. So we come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, this is, this is what we believe. Jesus uh, has lots of mountain themes as well mm-hmm. in his teachings and in his life. He gives his sermon about how to participate in the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 5. Where? Mm, on the mount. <laughs> sermon on the yeah, mount, right? The sermon on the mount is on a mount. A mount, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so Jesus then transfigures into glory. On a mountain, yeah. A mountain. And he's killed on a cross, mm-hmm. which means he's lifted where? Up in the air. Lifted up into the air, almost like it's an altar, that, mm-hmm. that a fixture that connects heaven and earth. And in his death, in, in resurrection, heaven and earth are reunited. Mm-hmm. So who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? We can us, Mm -hmm. but only can we ascend because God has descended, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the incarnation. Christmas is coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, This happens in and through Christ. God has come down to us so that we can go up to God. This Mm -hmm. is the beauty of of the the incarnation. Uh, John 3.13 says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. So Mm -hmm. Jesus, the son of man comes from heaven and descends to us. When Jesus meets with Nathaniel, Nathaniel's amazed at what Jesus says to him. And Jesus says, you're going to see much more than this for me. Mm-hmm. And when he says to him, and you have to listen to this, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on mm-hmm. the son of man. So Jacob saw God and he saw the angels ascending and descending up the stairs mm-hmm. to God, up the mountain to God. So the question is, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, we can because the Son of Man has come down to us. And then the Son of Man is the bridge, mm-hmm. is the stairway mm-hmm. that we go up to God. And we yeah. know that because the same language is used, just like mm-hmm. the angels are ascending and descending on the stairs of the ziggurat mm-hmm. that in Jacob's dream at Bethel, the angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus tells Nathaniel, right? Mm-hmm. So, so again, even something like this, redemption, it, it's all based in the Old Testament. I mean, what Jesus says about himself is based on Genesis 28, Yeah. right? Now it's also based on lots of other things, but this is copy paste. The angels are ascending and descending, right? That's from this story. Mm-hmm. And it was on the stairways of the great ziggurat that Jacob saw this in his dream. But what Jesus tells Nathaniel, that's going to be me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to become the stairway that connects heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the stairs of the great ziggurat that takes people to the house of God. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, he means that. Yeah. Right? He is the way. And so we as Christians, we answer the question, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord, the, the mountain that the Israelites couldn't touch without dying, how can we ascend to the house of God? How can we come into the presence of God in the divine throne room? And the answer is uh, in Christ, Mm -hmm. whenever we want. 
we, we're connected mm-hmm. from earth to heaven. And that is a big part of, of redemption. And that's yeah. a big part of, of, of the cross and the resurrection and, and the Christian story. And so even this strange dream from Jacob is Christology, mm-hmm. right? There's a Christological aspect to it that, that Jesus not only picks up on, but explicitly teaches to his disciples. And so, uh, you know, on this Thanksgiving week, mm-hmm. think about giving thanks for the grace of God. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, it's like grace. And, and I think, Jackie, we're going to do like a little, uh, like a Thanksgiving Day devotional that, that we'll release mm-hmm. where you and I kind of talk about the story of grace so far in mm-hmm. the Bible and, and, and how that colors our Thanksgiving and gratitude. But when a lot of people think about grace, they think of grace and the gift of it is that God should be mad at you, but he's not mad at you. Yeah. Or that you should be in trouble but now you're not in trouble anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the gift. Well, that is really a, a, an anemic picture mm-hmm. of, of the grace of God. Like what has happened is that heaven and earth are separated. Mm-hmm. And so God is, is, is up at the, the great steps of the ziggurat, Jacob's mm-hmm. stairway, and we can't access it. Mm-hmm. We can't go to him. We can't be with him. We can't be with God. And then in Christ, the son of man becomes a stairway that the angels ascend and descend on. And in Christ, we we are in the same way connected from heaven, right? Remember it said the stairs started on the ground and then went all the way up into the heavens. Mm-hmm. So now the son of man has come down to earth and, and is all the way up into the heavens and we are in Christ. And so we too ascend the mountain of God. And you wanna talk about being thankful you know that that's what we should be thankful for. Yeah. What 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 an amazing story of redemption and kind of interesting that it's it it's like pointed at mm-hmm. in Genesis twenty eight. Mm-hmm. You know, if we go through every chapter of the Bible, which we'll we'll at some point do something a little bit probably like to make it faster. I don't know, but if we were to do that the way that we're doing it now, you know, someone told me it would be like twenty three years. Yeah. To get through the Bible, maybe. Uh, let's just say 16 years till we get to Jesus. And so think about all that time, all that that Bible, all that redemptive history that we go through until we get to the moment of Jesus redeeming the world. And it's pointed at, it's already been pointed at multiple times. Yeah. Uh, at the very beginning. And so this is why it's it's beautiful to read the Old Testament and to, to start yeah. to understand it and to give some texture to things like the grace and the gift of God. Even now we have anticipation. Mm, you're right. Yep. And so that's Genesis chapter 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we'll, we'll release a little Thanksgiving Day uh, devotional later later this week. And then we will be back next week for chapter 29. All right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on Story Simple Spirit. Mm-hmm.